You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Um, We're in a new series we started last weekend called The Table. And the series is all about what happens when we come to the table together, uh, when we're invited to the table, when we sit at the table, and not just any table, but, but God's table. What does that look like? Um, what are the benefits of that practically for us being at the table? And really, our, our focus for this entire year is how do we connect people relationally to each other? Uh, and that's part of why this series is so important for us. So one of the things I challenged you to last week that some of you took advantage of, actually more than I expected, um, is we're doing a giveaway. And we are going to be giving away some meals to people for free, some gift cards. And here's the catch. The catch is we're going to be, you can register and we're going to draw some people and we're going to give you a free meal. But the catch is you have to eat a meal with somebody you may not know. We're going to tell you who you're getting your meal with. And... Uh, we're going to do our best to uh, connect you with somebody that you may have s- some stuff in common with, but you may not know. And we're asking you to do that before the end of January. Grab dinner together as a family. Um, you know, if you're a couple, we're going to get you with another couple that you guys can connect with and hopefully build a relationship. But what does it look like when we come to the table together? What does that look like? And so a bunch of you have signed up already, and that's awesome. You pump me up. But if you're interested in registering for that, you can simply text at the table to 94,000. That's all one word, at the table, no spaces in there, to 94,000. And then you can register by giving us your first and last name and your email address, and that's it. Um, And then this week, in the next few days, we're gonna be reaching out to people, letting you know who who is gonna be receiving gift cards, and we're also gonna be letting you know who, uh, who, who's been assigned to you. So uh, you don't have to do anything. The people that are gonna be assigned to you know that they may be assigned to some people. They've signed up for that. Um, and so uh, we just wanna give you an opportunity to connect and see practically what does it look like for us to be in relationship together. So be adventuresome, take a risk, and uh, I promise we'll have fun. So my question to you today is, when was the last time you sat at a table? And then I don't mean you sat down to scarf down some food as fast as you could while you scrolled through your social media or um, watched a YouTube video. Uh, That's not what we're talking about. That's eating some food as you continue on. But that is not what I'm interested in. Um, In other cultures, in many cultures in our world, the table is actually the centerpiece of the home. It's where life happens, where everything happens. Uh, Meals are not just something you consume so you can continue on with your busy, overstimulated life. The meal is kind of the center point of the, the event of the house, that it might take hours to prepare the food. And then you don't just eat it as quickly as possible and then scatter. Um, You You consume it together as you talk and share, and it might take hours to eat as you are talking. And then afterwards, you may wait around. Literally, there are places in our world that take four or five hours to eat a meal together because it's not just about the food. It's not just about, I gotta get going. It is about what is this doing and what does it mean for us to be together? And really what you see in these cultures many times is that the table is a place of rest that they come together in the middle of a busy day 
and they will rest, they will talk, they will share, they'll put away distractions. They, they won't be worried about what else is going on in their lives. They won't worry about messages and emails. They won't be worried about social media. They literally will put things away and they'll focus on the moment. They'll focus on the people that are with them and what's happening in that moment. And it's important and it's valuable. And for too many of us, the table is not a place of rest. It is a place of further busyness. It's a place where, well, we're even more distracted in some ways than we are in our normal life. I don't mind eating meals by myself. Uh, in fact, sometimes if I don't have a lunch scheduled with somebody or something like that, I might just go to lunch someplace in town on my own and just go sit and eat by myself. And again, it doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm, I'm wired like that. But sometimes I don't even look at my phone or my iPad. Like I don't take my iPad to read a book or something like that. And I, I can only imagine that people just think I'm crazy. Because you ever see somebody by themselves that doesn't, isn't looking at their phone? They look like a psycho. <laughs> they look like they might be an ax murderer or something. And uh, sometimes I'll be sitting in a restaurant and I'll make eye contact with people. Like I'll just be looking around and happen to make eye contact with somebody. And then it's like, well, do I look away? Because if I look away, it looks like it was intentional eye contact and I got caught making eye contact. Or do I just keep looking at the person does that make me a bigger psycho if I make eye contact and just like, just keep looking? Like, is that even worse? And the answer is yes, it is. But I don't mind eating a meal by myself and putting my phone away because it's an opportunity for me to rest, take a break, to find some rest at a table. When I finish today, when we finish up here and everybody leaves, and I will probably be one of the last ones here, which I normally am, and I'm done talking, inevitably I will go back to my office, and if I'm not in a rush, I'm gonna sit down in my chair because my body physically is tired from what I've been doing today and last night, and so I will sit down in my office chair at my desk, and when I do, I almost always make a sound like, <sighs> and that is, indicative of how I feel. I am tired, I'm spent. And in that moment, I can find just a little bit of rest for my body. And just like my body needs the oxygen that I bring in, and my body is fueled by the oxygen that I bring in, your soul is fueled by the rest that you have. And what happens for so many of us is we don't schedule rest, we don't find rest, and because of that, our souls are starving. Our souls have no strength, have no vibrancy, have no life. And it's because we lack the rest that we need. And that's what we'll be talking about for the next few minutes today is the fact that the, the table can be, and I think should be many times, a place of rest. Last week, I ref referred to Psalm chapter 23, uh, and I talked about Psalm 23, two, just a little bit, that he makes me lie down in green pastures. And I refer to that, and then this weekend, there was another verse I wanted to share with you from Psalm 23, and I just said, you know what? Let's walk through Psalm 23 together. So Psalm 23 says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you've never paid much attention to this chapter, David writes this and he begins with this proposition. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So what he says is, God is the good shepherd and I am the sheep. And then he makes a statement, I shall not want. And basically the rest of the verses support this idea. Because God is a good shepherd, because I am in his flock, there's nothing that I need. And then he supports this idea. And here's what he does. And here's how he does it. And we get to verse five and it says, he says to God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna eat a meal, I want it to be with somebody I actually want to hang out with. If you said, Mel, I wanna invite you over to my house for dinner. Great. Also, I need a list of the people who hate you the most because I'm inviting them too. I'd be like, oh, I forgot about a thing I've got that day. And they're like, you haven't, I didn't tell you the day. And I was like, yeah, that's the day. I'm busy that day, I know, right? Some of you are nervous about this like uh, texting thing to, for us to connect you to somebody else because you're like, what if I hate them, right? We're, we're, it would make us anxious. It would make us nervous. And I can't imagine David saying to God, God, thank you that you set me at a table with people who hate my guts, that people who wish me ill are sitting at a table with me. God, thank you for that. That is so nice of you to do. Well, we have to go a little deeper into the context to understand what he's really talking about. Because I don't know about you, but this verse can be a little confusing for us if we don't look at it contextually. So when you look at this verse in context, the first thing he says is, you prepare a table before me. You prepare a table for me, is what he's saying. Some of us, you know, we've just come through Christmas and Thanksgiving. Maybe you had family at your house for Christmas or Thanksgiving meals. Did anybody have to prepare a big meal for people at your house? Somebody haven't had to host? No? Four of you? Liars. I'm gonna give an invitation for liars right now. A lot of you did, you hosted, right? Usually we host Thanksgiving at our house. Uh, we didn't host this year because Kim had had her surgery. Um, and by the way, she is doing better. So thank you for those of you that have been asking and praying. Um, but Kim had her surgery and um, my mother-in-law didn't trust me to fix Thanksgiving, so she fixed Thanksgiving for us this year at our house. She prepared everything, she did all the stuff. But, but it, it's work to host people for Thanksgiving, isn't it? It costs you something, right? Because let's be honest, it's not just the food prep, it's the house prep, right? You gotta prep the house before the people show up. Come on now. Nobody lives in a museum. None of our houses are immaculate. They only get that way before the people show up. We live in our houses. It is a mess. It's lived in. So we clean our houses like crazy. We put our kids to work. We bribe them. We scare them, whatever it takes to get them to help clean the house, right? It was funny. When our kids were younger, we would make them help us clean. And one time, Emma, Emma was like three, and she was like, who's coming over? And I was like, we're just cleaning the house, right? 
So you gotta clean the house. It might take hours for you to get the house clean. And then when you get the house clean, you gotta prep the food. And then you prep the food and you gotta get everything ready. And then people show up. And when they show up, now you gotta feed them. They're eating your food, right? And then when it's over with, they're gonna say something polite like, oh, why don't you let us help you clean up? And you're too nice. And you go, oh, no, 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 no. I insist, you can't help us clean up. But in your heart, you're thinking, I really wish you'd do the dishes for me, right? But you're too nice. So you're like, no, 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 no. So then they leave and then there's hours of cleanup and you're putting food away and you're, all the stuff, it's exhausting. But it's pretty nice going to somebody else's house for Thanksgiving. You roll in there, you offer, they turn you down, you can't help, you eat the food, you leave. It's like, dang, I could get used to this, right? It's nice. And part of that is that they will take care of you. Have you ever been to somebody's house and they brought you something to eat and you're like, Oh, well, thank you so much for the pickled beets. Those are my favorite. And they're like, oh, you want some more? And you're like, no, 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 no more beets. I want to savor what I've got. I don't want to overeat, indulge in my passion for pickled beets, right? Maybe you love pickled beets. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> if they serve you something you don't like, you eat it. Why? Because to reject their food is to reject them. This is why on mission trips, the, the, the hosts, they'll tell you, whatever they put on your plate, you eat. I've eaten some bad food overseas, man. I'm like, oh, these chicken claws are delicious. Mmm, there's so much meat on the paw. Like, mmm, mmm, whew. Good job, right? So if you go to somebody's house and they serve you food that maybe you don't love, you eat it. What you don't do, you don't bring your own food. Can you imagine rolling in there with a bag of McDonald's? You're like, yeah, I wasn't really sure what you'd have, so I brought this just in case. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe you're sitting there and they bring you the pickled beets and you don't even say anything. You just get up and go to the refrigerator and open it up. And they're like, is there something you need? You're like, no, I'm just not gonna eat that. So I'm just seeing what else you got. <laughs> I'm just browsing. Don't mind me. Of course not, right? That'd be offensive. What you're saying is, I don't trust you. I don't trust your food. I prefer to take care of myself is what you're saying. And in ancient cultures, I mean, even today, if you go to the Middle East, uh, hospitality is a huge value culturally for them. So whether you are Muslim or Jewish or Christian in the Middle East, this is a high value for them. So they value taking care of people, even if they don't know them, even if they're a stranger, maybe especially if they're a stranger. So when you're invited into someone's home, they will go to great lengths to make you comfortable, to make sure you have what you need, to provide food for you, to provide drink for you, to make sure you have everything you need. It's their responsibility. They provide for you. And this is what David is saying to God. He said, God, you, you prepare a table for me. And in that culture, it was understood that, that I don't just sit and eat and go, hey, can I get some? Or, hey, I'm gonna go get in the fridge. Or, hey, I'm gonna go bring what I wanna eat. That you trust the person, the host, to provide for you what you need. And you don't have to do anything. If they notice you looking, like you're looking at the table, is there something you need? Yeah, I need some salt. They're not gonna tell you where to find it. They're gonna say, let me get you some salt. And they're gonna get the salt and bring it back to you. 
This is what God does. God is in this moment saying, if you're at my table, I'm gonna take care of you. And the psalmist is saying, hey God, I see your provision in my life. You have provided for me. You have taken care of me. I've got a seat at your table. You've laid out this table for me. You provide for me. Then we see the second part. In the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you. I don't wanna go eat meals with people that don't like me. So why would this be appealing? Why would, why would this be a, a bonus for David to say, hey, God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies? Well, what he's saying is in this home, again, in ancient culture and Middle East, Eastern culture, it is understood that if I am a guest in your home, you will provide and protect me. This is why some of you have read the Old Testament, the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, when he welcomes the angelic visitors to his home and he protects them in some ways that make people uncomfortable. Um, You can read the story if you'd like. The reason he does that is because cultural hospitality dictated that no matter what happens, these people are my guests and I am protecting these people at all costs. He understood that they are my responsibility. And this is what David is saying. David is saying, God, you invite me into your home. You prepare a table for me. And when you do that, even my enemies who are invited to the meal, who are sitting at the table, they can't do a thing because it's your responsibility to protect me. So I can sit at the table and I can eat the food that you've provided knowing full well that I don't have anything to fear from the people around the table because you are responsible for protecting me. He says, I can come to the table and rest because I'm not worried about the provision and I'm not worried about the protection. And this is what you've got to get in your brain. God is responsible for your provision and protection. God is responsible for your provision and protection. This is what David is saying. He says, God, you have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God, you have prepared a table. You have provided what I need, but God, it's in the presence of my enemies. And I know that you will protect me from the people who wish me harm. There's nothing they can do. They're powerless at your table because I can trust you. Now, this is great, theoretically, right? You'll know that's wonderful, but how is that practical in my life? What does that look like? Because we could finish this up right now and I could say, hey, just sit at Jesus' table and you'll have everything you need and all the security you need. Great, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Back in June of 2021, we went through a sermon series called The Big 10. We were talking through the 10 commandments. And so today I wanna share one of those commandments with you. Um, But you can get more context. You can get more context through the whole Ten Commandments if you go back to the series from June. June 2021, it was called Big Ten. Big X is what it was. And you can find it on our sermon archive if you'd like. But I'm gonna start in Exodus chapter 20. God is giving the Ten Commandments to the people. And this is what he says in verse eight. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart. Let me help you with something. 
God wasn't exhausted at the end of the six days. He wasn't like, whoo, I'm working for the weekend. Like, I am so tired. Man, I need a break from this, right? God did not spend the Sabbath watching Netflix for 12 hours. Yeah, I just got to turn off my brain, man. Like, that was not God's attitude. God did not need the Sabbath. God was modeling the Sabbath for us because he knew we needed the Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath here in the Hebrew is Shabbat. And Shabbat just means to cease, desist, or rest. I had somebody last night say, I thought you said decease. Cease, decease. And it was like, no, 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 that's too much rest. Like we don't, we're not, <laughs> we're not advocating that much rest yet, right? That's the eternal rest. We don't want that yet. Cease, desist, rest. And what this means is there's a day that we stop. Whatever it is we're doing, we stop doing it. We cease. The things we're working on six days a week, the things that we're moving toward, the goals we have, the plans we have, all of it, we stop. Now, I gotta be honest with you. This is not one that's real high on my, most people's priority lists. I've never ever, in all of my years of being a pastor, had anyone sitting in my office weeping, saying, Mel, I can't believe I failed so badly. I broke the Sabbath. Nobody. I've had people confess to adultery. I've had people confess to being um, stealing, to all kinds of other things in the Ten Commandments. Never, ever, ever have I ever had anybody confess to breaking the Sabbath. Why is that? Well, it's because we don't take the Sabbath very seriously at all. In our culture, we don't. Why? Because we value, we value accomplishment. We value success. And so we think in order to have success and accomplishment, we gotta go seven days a week, nonstop. We gotta go, go, go. But the question is this then, why did God prioritize Sabbath at the same level as murder and adultery? See, you might not take Sabbath seriously. I may not take Sabbath seriously, but God does. God takes it just as seriously as murder. This feels a little extreme, doesn't it? But it's not. Because God said, it is important to honor the Sabbath. And the Sabbath isn't just about church attendance. See, I grew up in a church that people were guilted about breaking the Sabbath and it was about church attendance. You just gotta be at church. But let me help you with something. Church attendance can be part of it, but it's not just about church attendance. It's not just about our physical, it's about our emotional. And it's not just about our emotional, it's about our physical, it's about these two things coming together. And the reality is that God knows our nature and he knew that we would not prioritize rest at all. And the fact that Sabbath is associated with things like murder and adultery should tell us the weight that God lends to Sabbath, that it's important. So a couple of weeks ago, actually going back to that first weekend of the year, January 30, uh, December 31st and January 1st, I preached a message called um, Remembering Too Much and Not Enough. And in that message, we talked about the children of Israel. And we talked about part of their journey through the wilderness and what they did and their problems. And they committed 10 sins against God in the wilderness um, or on their way to the promised land before they were traveling for the 40 years. 
And five of those sins were about complaining. They just complained to God. They were upset, they were frustrated, they complained. One of the sins was they created the golden calf and they worshiped the golden calf. Four, the other four sins all related to trust. Two of them were crossing, one was crossing the Red Sea um, and one was crossing the Jordan into the promised land. They were hesitant to trust God to do that. And God was angry with them. The two other times, it was regarding manna. They complained because they didn't have enough food. God sent them literally bread from heaven. It lands on the ground and God said, I'm gonna give you some guidelines for this. Here's the deal. Uh, I'm gonna send enough for each day. So you go out, you get what you need for the day. Don't get any more. He was very strict about this. And, and I'm not gonna send any on the Sabbath so you don't gather on the Sabbath, but I'm gonna send twice as much on the day before the Sabbath. So that day before you can gather what you need for that day and the Sabbath, but don't gather more than you need. Very clear. And the children of Israel disobeyed. They went out and they gathered their, their manna and they're like, but what if God doesn't send manna tomorrow? I better get some extra. What if he doesn't send as much tomorrow and I don't have as much as I need? I'll just get some extra. That way I'll be ready for tomorrow. And then when it came to the Sabbath, they went out on the Sabbath and they're like, hey, where's the manna? God says, you're not supposed to be gathering on the Sabbath. I sent you enough before, but they didn't trust him. So they showed up to gather more manna. Because fundamentally they were saying, what if we can't trust God? What if he's holding out on us? What if he doesn't give us what he said he's gonna give us? What if he doesn't actually provide for us? And we fall into the same trap. That's why we don't Sabbath. Because we don't trust God. We go, well, what if God doesn't actually take care of us? What if he doesn't provide for us? What if God is not as interested in my success as I am? And what if I stop working that day and then I can't get ahead and I lose ground to my competitor? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And fundamentally what it comes back to is we don't trust God. <laughs> See, we trust God too little to actually find rest. We don't trust God to provide for us, so become workaholics. We work because it's up to us. I've got to provide for me. God's not going to do it. I'm bringing my own food to dinner because God's not going to fix the right food. He's not going to fix the food I want. He might not give me enough, so I'm going to provide for myself. We don't trust God to protect us, so we build up our own defenses, whether it's our wealth or our strength or our place in society. We don't trust God with our family, with our relationship, with our kids, with our future. So we worry endlessly about these things. It causes stress and anxiety in our lives because fundamentally we don't believe that God will protect us and provide for us. And we'll come to church and we'll say all the right things, but we're not living it out and we're not finding rest because our souls are constantly engaged at a high level. We are moving and moving and moving and moving and working and striving. And the Sabbath says, stop, cease, desist, rest. Whatever it is you are moving towards, stop for just a moment. And find rest. See, Sabbath is not just about not doing physical work that day that we're just gonna lay on the couch it's about trusting God so that our souls can rest, so that we can find peace. That's what Sabbath is. See, Sabbath is a spiritual discipline that we live out in our physical lives so that our heart will follow, so that our, 
our hearts can be disciplined to do what they're not naturally inclined to do. See, the Sabbath is just a tool. The Sabbath is a tool to train our hearts to trust God. This is the same with a tithe, by the way. Um, God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He demonstrated it so that we would understand we need to rest, that we need to bring our souls into alignment with God and learn how to trust him. To understand it's not my job to provide for myself or protect myself, it's God's job. It's his responsibility. But my heart is inclined to trust myself. So what Sabbath does is it brings my heart into alignment to trust God. This is what the tithe does too. See, we naturally wanna provide for ourselves and protect ourselves. And what God says is, trust me, God's not after your money. He doesn't need your money. He's after your trust. He wants you to learn how to trust him. And so the tithe is just a discipline for us to begin to go, hey God, I can trust you in every area of my life, even my finances. So God, I'm gonna put you first. And it might make me a little nervous. It might make me a little scared to put you first, but I'm gonna trust you with my finances because then what happens is our hearts come into alignment and we begin to trust God in ways that we never did before. It's just a tool to help us trust God in a greater way. Now, the Jewish view of Sabbath uh, or Shabbat in the the Hebrew was different than ours. The the Jewish view of Sabbath is it is holy. The Sabbath is holy to most observant Jews. They will take it very, very seriously. And it is an opportunity for them to gather together. They put away distractions. They put away um, the different things that could pull them away from that moment. They will share meals together. They will laugh. They will literally shut everything off disengage for a 24-hour period. They will rest. They'll share a meal together. They'll talk. They'll laugh. But they understand that they are supposed to cease, desist, and rest. See, for them, they understand that the Sabbath isn't something we have to do. It's something we get to do. It's an invitation to rest in God, to trust him and know him in better ways and deeper ways. And so for for most Jewish people, they look at Sabbath as a gift. It's a treasure that's been gifted to us by God. That God has gifted us rest. And when we reject the Sabbath, we're rejecting that gift. Rejecting the gift that God has given us. There's a saying in Jewish culture that says, more than Israel has kept the Shabbat, the Shabbat has kept Israel. It's not just about maintaining this discipline of being observant to the Sabbath, but that Sabbath actually keeps us where we need to be. That regular rhythm of rest in our lives will actually help us sustain the life we actually want to have. Yet we reject it because we don't trust God. So in Jewish culture, there's two things they look at with this commandment. Because in the commandment itself, it says, remember to obey the Sabbath by keeping it holy. There's other translations that say, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So remember and keep are key words 
in Jewish culture, remember, applies to this idea that it's not just about the single day, but every single day I want to remember to keep the Sabbath. So I want to remember the Sabbath and what it's really about, that it's not just about the singular day, it's about an attitude that I carry in my life, that every single day I'm looking for places to trust God more. And when I trust God, I can find rest in those moments. So, So for instance, maybe you go to the office on Monday and you have conflict with a coworker and you want to fight and you want to win the argument because you want to prove that you're right. And you realize in this moment, I don't have to, this is a needless argument. And so God, I know you're my protector, you're my provider. So I'm going to trust you in this moment. So I'm not going to try to prove that I'm right. I'm not going to try to prove that they're wrong. I'm going to let you settle this. And you decide, I'm just going to disengage. And there's something powerful about saying, God, I trust you in this moment and I'm gonna find rest. I'm not gonna let this get in my soul. I'm not gonna have this conflict in me the rest of the day. You can find peace by desisting, by saying, I'm not gonna keep going in this direction I'm going in. God, I'm gonna trust you instead. See, there's this ongoing pattern where we say in our daily lives, God, I'm trusting you today. God, I'm trusting you in this moment. God, I believe that you're my provider. I believe that you're my protector. So God, I'm gonna trust you. And because we choose to trust him on our daily basis, we can find rest. When we simply say, God, I trust you. It's not up to me. I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength, but I know you do. So I'm gonna trust you. We remember. Then keep is the actual physical discipline of saying every week, I'm gonna have a Sabbath. Every week, I'm gonna have a 24-hour period that is holy unto the Lord. And some of you are like, well, Mel, you don't know my schedule. I'm so busy. I'm sorry, we don't have passes in scripture for people who are busy. Can you imagine somebody being like, well, yeah, I murdered him, but man, it's because I'm busy. You're like, I don't think that's gonna fly in a court of law, right? I don't think that's a pass. We do that with Sabbath. Well, I don't have time to Sabbath, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. What you're telling me is, I don't trust God enough. It's all dependent on me. So I've got to take care of it. I've got to fix these relationships. I've got to do the job. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, because I can't trust God. He cannot be trusted. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said this, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. To me, this is an apt description of the world in which we live. There are people all around us. This room is full of people. Blairsville is full of people. Online, there are people watching that they are weary and they carry heavy burdens. And here's the problem. Many of us are carrying burdens God never intended for us to carry. He intended to carry those burdens for us because he is our provider and protector. And yet what we do is we go, no, 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 God, I got this because I don't know what you'll do with it. So I'll take this. God, I'll take my family because I don't know what you'll do with my family. So I've got this, God. God, I'll take my finances. God, I'll take, and we take all this heavy load on and God is going, why are you carrying that? Come to me and I will give you rest. And we're like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. Our souls are desperate for rest. I imagine someone who's been submerged in water too long, how their body is longing for a breath of fresh air. Our souls are longing for a breath of rest. We're so self-reliant. We're so unwilling to trust God that we keep carrying these heavy burdens on our own. We don't trust the Lord. Last week, we talked about a, a man named Mephibosheth. He was the son of Jonathan, who was 
Um, David's best friend, you might know David because he slew Goliath, he killed Goliath um, on the battlefield and he ended up becoming king of Israel. After he'd become king of Israel, he inquired about the family of his best friend and his best friend who had died had one son left named Mephibosheth and he was living in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar was a place of no provision and no communication, no word. It was an isolated place and he was physically dependent on other people because he had a disability. He was crippled in both feet. So there were limitations to what he could do and how he could provide for himself and protect himself. And what David did is he said, I wanna invite you into my home. I wanna invite you to eat at my table. You belong at my table with me. I'm gonna treat you like you're one of my own sons. And this invitation was not just a place of belonging from Mephibosheth, and we talked about that last week, but for him in, very, in a very real sense, it was a place of provision because now he never had to worry about what am I gonna eat? Who's gonna take care of me? Who's gonna protect me? The king said, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. And he could live with that assurance his whole life. And too many of us have lived in a place like Lodabar where we are isolated, where we have no provision and we've been invited by the king, come sit at my table. And we go, I'm good. I got this. We reject what our father is offering because we simply don't trust him. Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, verse six, it says this, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This verse might sound familiar in different translation. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So this is where we get a little practical, but you might not be very satisfied with it. So how do we live this out? How do we pull up a table to the, the, the a seat to the table that Christ is inviting us to? What does this look like practically for us? Well, I've got the formula right here. The first thing is this, stop worrying. It says, don't worry about anything. Stop worrying. You're like, Mel, that's profound. I've never thought about that before. You're right. Good idea, right? I'm going to pin that on my refrigerator. I'm going to make sure I see that all the time. Don't worry. Oh, good thought. Worrying is a conscious, a conscientious decision. Did you know that? You decide to worry when you worry. It's not uncontrollable, but you decide to worry. So do I. But the root of worry is mistrust. I worry about things because I don't trust God. If I trusted God, I wouldn't have to worry about things. So what happens? We worry about things. Well, what's the solution to that? I'm glad you asked. We have the solution. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So what he says is replace that behavior with another behavior. We've been worrying because we don't trust God. He says, instead of worrying, trust God and pray. Pray about everything is what he says. Pray about everything. And this is the way I want you to think about it. I want you to... reword your worry and direct it to God. Because there's things you're worried about that all you need to do is reword it a little bit and give it to the Lord. So instead of saying something like, um, I don't know how I'm gonna make it. The economy is down. My job's not secure. I'm, I'm the last one hired. I'll be the first one fired. I'm probably gonna get laid off. I don't know what I'm gonna be able to do. How am I gonna pay my mortgage? Because all that is you, right? How am I gonna provide? How am I gonna protect? This is where you go, okay, God. Um, God, I'm not sure what the economy is gonna do, but I know you do. 
God, you're bigger than this problem. And I know if I lose my job, you can provide a different job. So God, I'm, I'm just gonna trust you in this moment. I don't know what the future holds, but I know you're already there waiting for me. So God, I'm just gonna trust you. Now we've gone from worrying to praying. Now it's not about me, it's about God. God, I trust you. It doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, tell God your need. Now, let me help you understand this. God is omniscient. He knows everything. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. He knows everything. He already knows your need. And I've had this conversation with people where they've said, Mel, if God already knows what I need, why should I have to pray? It's not about God. We don't pray to change God. Did you know that? We pray to change us. God's not like, okay, I guess I'll do it. Right? What happens is our heart shifts. So when we pray, when we tell God what we need, what he already knows we need, what it does is it brings our hearts into alignment because what it's saying to me is, God, I trust you with this need. God, I love my daughters so very much. And so God, I'm committing their future to you. God, I'm praying for them. God, you know I love my daughters. You know I wanna see their future flourish. So God, I'm praying for their future husbands. I'm praying for their future ministry opportunities. God, I love these girls with my whole heart, but God, I know you love them more than I do. So God, I trust you with my girls. And what it's doing is it's bringing my heart into alignment with God. And it's reminding me over and over again, God, I can trust you. So when I pray without ceasing, when I, when I pray, there's some translations say with prayer and supplication, that supplication is me continuing to pray to God for things that I wanna see happen in my life, for things that I need and it's God receiving that prayer over and over, but it's not about changing God's heart, it's about changing my heart. Then it says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. God, thank you for what you've done in my past. Because when I remember what God has done in my past, it reminds me of what God can do in my future. God, you can solve this problem today because you've solved these problems in the past. So God, thank you for what you've done. And then the result is you will experience God's peace. You'll experience God's peace. It exceeds anything we can understand. Not only will we experience his peace, it says his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So as we are submitted to Christ Jesus, as we are sitting at that table that we're invited to, the peace of God will put a, a fort around our hearts and our minds. He will protect. There's a garrison of angels guarding our hearts and minds when we're in Christ Jesus. When we stop worrying, start praying about everything, bring our needs to Jesus and then thank him for what he's done. This is the formula. This, this is not tricky, but we just don't, we don't apply it. Because the truth is we struggle to trust God. But there's a verse in 2 Peter 1 that gives us a, a hint to this. And it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. God is giving us everything we need. It, we have access to it right now. It says, we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. How do we have access to everything we need, all the provision? It's by knowing Jesus, by being in relationship with him, by sitting at the table when he invites us to. By trusting him enough to say, I don't have the answers. I can't provide and protect myself. I can't do that, but God, I know you can. And as we know him, we'll access that provision that he has for us. God has everything you need. Will you trust him? 
I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. He'll close out the rest of our time together. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So for those of you here in the room and those watching online, the question really is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him with the things you worry about? Will you trust him with the things you're anxious about? Will you trust him with your, with your future? Will you trust him with your kids? Will you trust him with your salvation? It's about trusting him. He's invited you to the table and you have to decide, am I gonna partake in what's presented or am I gonna bring my McDonald's with me? Am I busy taking care of myself or am I gonna trust God to take care of me and provide for me and protect me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you that when we have doubts, <laughs> you are not offended by that. You are, you're a big God. You're a secure God. So God, I pray right now for the people here that have struggled with providing for themselves and protecting themselves. They've been self-sufficient. God, I pray today truly would be a day that we would find peace as we release those things to you, that we would find rest for our souls as we trust you, as we cease and desist and rest. So God, I pray right now that worry, anxiety, fear would be gone in the name of Jesus. They would not plague the people of this congregation any longer. That God, we would find freedom from those things and we would find the rest we desperately need in you. So God, help us to trust you. Help us to know that you are faithful and trustworthy. I pray for those that have never trusted you with their eternities, that have never surrendered their lives to you. Let today be the day that we say yes to you, that our eternity has changed, that we accept the invitation to sit at your table and to know how good it is to be your son or daughter. So God, have your way with us in these next few moments. Now, with nobody looking around, if you'd say to me, Mel, I know I'm not really serving God, but I wanna be. I know I'm not in relationship with Jesus, but I'm tired of doing it myself. I'm tired of providing for myself. I'm tired of trying to protect myself. I'm exhausted. I don't have any rest. And I know the only way I can find rest for my soul is in relationship by knowing Jesus. So today I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna know that rest. I wanna be a child of God. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. You'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer. That's me. Yeah, thank you. I see you on my right. Thank you, sir. I see you in the center section. Who else would say, Mel, include me in that prayer? Yeah, up in the balcony. I see you, sir. Yeah, thank you on my right. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these? Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want us to pray a prayer together. We're gonna pray this out loud with our mouths. We're gonna confess it with our mouths, but we're gonna pray it from our heart, from our soul. So don't just repeat some words, but pray this prayer from your heart. We're all gonna pray it together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, I turn away from my old ways and my old life. And from this moment on, I commit to follow you. Thank you for inviting me to your table. I trust you in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. We want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So please help us help you. Uh, you took the first step, which is awesome. But now we need you to take one more step. All we need you to do is either take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and then take it to the info center where one of our pastors are gonna be there to help you take the next step. If you'd prefer, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000 and let us know about your decision there. Select the prompt that says salvation and then follow the directions and we're gonna get back with you. We're gonna get some info in the mail to you and help you take the next step as well. So let us know about your decision today. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna... Lead us in a final song. As we're singing this last song, some of our staff and our prayer team are gonna be available here at the front of this room. We would be honored to pray with you about whatever needs you may have. No matter what you have going on, we'd love to pray with you. But especially those of you that maybe you've carried a heavy burden in this place. You've carried something in that God never intended for you to carry. And today I believe is a day that you're gonna leave this at the front of this room. You're gonna come forward for prayer. Our prayer partners and prayer team are gonna pray with you and you're gonna walk out of here lighter than ever before. You're gonna walk out of here able to rest because you're not responsible for all of your stuff. So let us pray with you about that, especially if you're here today and need that. Stand to your feet. Let's worship together one more time before we go today. Guys, I tell you often, and I hope you know I'm sincere when I say it. I love you more than you know and I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.